<laughs> um, but just a man who doesn't just understand God and walk with God, but who lives a life that reflects something of God. We get to walk with him closely as friends um, and just know some of that life. And so I commend him to you as he preaches God's word to us this morning. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for the preparation that has gone into sharing your word with us this morning. I know he's a man who doesn't take it lightly, but who comes before you and wants to hear your voice and wants to share with your people carefully and thoughtfully. Lord, as he does that this morning, would you anoint him? Would you fill him with your spirit to speak words over us? And we ask for Jesus that our ears would hear. We want to be people who hear, really hear, and who change our lives because of what your word speaks into us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thanks, Paul. Um, I think it's so good to, yeah, just to have different type of people in the body of Christ, right? And because Paul comes with the energy and the, and just leading the moments of worship, and then you get to see different gifts because that's definitely not mine. I'm a man of uh, reservation and low energy and or low uh, vibes. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so I think. I'm excited to be here, and it is too bad that you missed last week. Uh, for those of you that were here, I think you might have been like me, and Stefan preached, he's preached a couple of times, and we're used to him bringing like the country music energy and vibe here, and then he showed up with, like, with raw emotion, he had us crying, um, and so it was actually beautiful, man. Thanks for sharing. I think we saw like a different side of, of Stefan for those of us that have been privileged to journey with the Kearns over the last time that they've been here. So thanks for that. Um, and hopefully today, yeah, today will be a time that we can um, learn something new. I think I want us to look at something that's a little bit familiar if you have been around One Hope over the last two years or so. Um, a familiar passage, but I want us to hopefully to be able to see things with a fresh perspective and to take away something um, new. So I know it's probably not popular at the start of a year. Um, everyone, Stefan, talked about um, New Year's resolutions, and I'm also not a person of New Year's resolutions. Um, I don't think it's always necessary to go in search of something new or, um, you know, the next vibe or the next high. Um, I was actually just reminded because sitting next to Elizabeth, her shoes just said good vibes uh, and super cute. Um, but I think that is what, you know, we want the good vibes. But sometimes it's also important just to double down and dive into the things that are really working for us already, right? Um, and so that's what I hope we're going to be able to do today. Um, so bear with me because we're going to be looking at Ephesians uh, chapter 2 and it's like, I don't know if that was like, oh yeah, or like, oh yeah. Here we go again, one hope we're still a new year, same book, um, but I think it's, it's really, hopefully we're going to pull out um, something a little bit different as I said. Um, so yeah, it's been said that discipleship is about long obedience in the same direction. So it's staying committed to the same journey for the long haul. And I think um, oftentimes when we do um, get too familiar with things, we stop, to, we stop appreciating them and we stop seeing them as we should. Um, and this is an age-old problem. It's not just now in this age of instant gratification. It's something that uh, was written about in Revelation 2, John's message to the church in Ephesus was chastising them because they've forsaken their first love. They've lost sight of the thing that they really loved, right? Um, and so it's something that we all struggle with. 
and we all know that when that feeling of love starts to fade, we need to take action and we need to try and see things with a fresh joy and perspective and relearn to appreciate them. Because if we don't, then uh, things will just continue to slide off the rails. Um, so hopefully today, as we look at Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, we'll see things with a fresh perspective, even if they are familiar to us already. And um, yeah, why do we keep dwelling on this book? Well, the church in Ephesus was evidently one of the most important uh, or, or very important in the history of the Bible. It's written about in seven different books in the New Testament. There's obviously Ephesians, but also Paul's letters to Timothy, uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's also written about in Revelation. And so they kept coming back to this church as holding it up as an example for us to learn from. Um, and also several people who led that church. If you're familiar with church history, their names that will stand out as, as legends of the faith. There was, of course, Paul who wrote this letter, uh, but there was also Apollos and Timothy, and there was also John, and then many others followed in that tradition. Um, and it's quite a quite cool, I just actually thought of this now, but when I was in high school, um, I had the privilege of going to Ephesus uh, with my parents, and we were, we were on a trip for my dad, worked with the mission organization, they had a conference there, and we went and stood in the, in kind of like the amphitheater where Paul preached um, to the people in Ephesus. So it's quite cool now to be able to, I might not do uh, justice, but evidently he was also um, not a very good speaker. He was a, he was a much better writer and not a great speaker. Um, so hopefully uh, you'll be able to take something away from my message as well this morning. Um, sometimes we say in our family when we see something very crazy, then it's just like, whoa, I'll never be able to unsee that, right? That's going to be like stuck on my mind for a long time. Um, so I hope today we'll walk away with like, wow, I'll never be able to see the world that I live in and to see scripture in the same way. Um, as we get started, I want if you can throw up the picture on the screen. I don't know if you'll be able to see it. Okay. Um, can anyone see? It's a little bit hard to see, but can anyone see where this is? Does anyone recognize this place? Anyone have any idea? It's in South Africa, that's good, that's, a, yeah. It's just opposite Kaimandi, right. So just this, as we're looking down, coming out of Kaimandi, uh, at the one entrance, and then it's Mount Simon Drive, actually, going into Mount Simon Estate. So this little road, it's probably like less than 100 meters long. It's wedged right there in between Kaimandi, coming down on First Street, and um, it's wedged in between Last Street and Clutusville. And this is a road that a lot of us drive by all the time. And normally when I start to talk about this, people will look at me like I'm crazy or they have no idea where this is and what I'm on about. But for me, this is very important um, to our lives and it's very uh, symbolic of the message that we're going to look at today because this road was wedged here in between the two communities, but it doesn't connect the two communities. And that type of the engineer left um, but that type of uh, spatial engineering and division doesn't happen on accident. So here's this road that we drive by all the time. We don't really notice it, um, yet it has something very important to teach us. And it is called Mount Simon Drive. Um, like most things in this town, it's named after Simon van der Stel, right? Um, and so, before we dive too much into this, I want us to turn back to the 8th of November, 1679. 
and just about a kilometer away from here, Simon van der Stel came out into this area with uh, a, a party of probably ragtag bunch of people and they were looking for a place to camp for the night. Um, he had recently arrived in South Africa um, or into this area, and it was not yet South Africa, um, but he arrived here from the Netherlands with six children um, and with his wife's sister. For some reason we're not going to delve into today, he left his wife in Holland and moved here with her sister. Um, but anyways, I digress, once he got here he quickly started looking for ways to expand uh, the Dutch influence in the Cape. And so he rode out this way and began to look for lands and like anyone who's been in Stellenbosch, he loved this place. And so he thought, well this would be a great place from which to build up the, the next European town uh, in this area. And so he did, and today the theology faculty stands, Stellenbosch University theology faculty stands almost on that same spot where they came in 1679. Um, yeah, interesting story to me, I love history. Interesting guy, Simon van der Stel was actually born on a ship which was sailing to Mauritius where his dad worked for the Dutch East India Company and his mom actually came from a family of enslaved people uh, from India. So a complex story. He was a, a person of color, a brown man, working in a white supremacist company, vying for white power, and he came into a black land and trying to find his place. Um, yeah, so interesting. These are the things that, that make me, um, yeah, that just get my uh, interest up. So I, I don't want to delve too much into history, but what I wanted to say is, as this town grew up on land that was expropriated without compensation from indigenous people, uh, a system was constructed by people who studied at Stellenbosch University and people who sat in pews in Stellenbosch churches to intentionally divide people groups in this country. So, yeah, you can feel the vibe. It's like <laughs> bringing the excitement. More excitement, between 1913, it's not gonna, the whole thing's not gonna be a history lesson, okay? But between 1913 and, and 1991, there were actually around 17,000 different laws and regulations passed by the government to control and segregate land. So that seems, I don't know much about law, but that's like a heck of a lot of laws. So I won't go through all of them, but I just wanted to pull out a couple of them. Um, there was already a system or like a, a movement in, in place before the Native Land Act of 1913 was passed, um, which prohibited black Africans from buying or renting land in 93% of South Africa. So in essence, people came here, said to the majority of the people, you can have 7% of the country. Later, out of their sheer generosity, they extended that number to 13% of the country that they could use. 1936, the Native Land and Trust Act officially created reserves so that black people could be conveniently just put out of the way there. 1950, the Group Areas Act permitted the government to establish residential areas based on race. And this paved the way for forced removals. If you're familiar with Cape Town, you should know the story of District 6. If you don't know the story of District 6, you should use these extra days of holiday to go to the District 6 Museum and hear some of the stories there. It's quite interesting. 
1954, the Native Resettlement Act accelerated the forced removal process. It made it officially okay for the government to say that people of color cannot live in the immediate like CBD close to the central part of the city, separating them from the economy and economic opportunities. Until 1991, the Abolition of Racially Based Land Measures Act was finally passed. It officially repealed legislative mechanisms that enforce a system of racially based residential areas. It's 1991 and now here we are at the start of 2023, living in Stellenbosch, where we should, this thing should be hitting us in the face like probably no other town or city in the country. These things were repealed in 1993, yet we see, although laws have changed, dividing walls still stand, right? And so it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's a sad reality. But bear with me and hang in because I think we're gonna learn something that is exciting. Um, Professor Chilisi Marwala, he's the leader of the University of Johannesburg. Um, he says, in 1994, there was an expectation that the dismantling of apartheid structures would somehow be equal to the eradication of the vestiges of apartheid. Our cities serve as a constant reminder of our past and perhaps one of the most significant markers of this legacy is our spatial planning. So it's a complex problem, it's super per pervasive, it's so evident that I think some of us might just move right past it and we don't even notice it sometimes. And I know you didn't come here to be um, inundated with the history lesson, you didn't come here to have this weight thrown upon you, and you didn't come here to address structural injustice, um, but um, Paul invited me here so you can blame him. <laughs> so, no, but I think it, I think it is important uh, for us to be aware of these realities, right? And I think it also, if, is, is once we look at them through the lens of scripture, I think it brings out some really important truths in our lives that can help all of us grow as disciples of Christ. Um, and so what I want us to do now is to dive into scripture because that's what we came here to do and see what the Bible has to say about dividing walls of hostility. So we'll do something old school. If you guys can turn to Ephesians chapter two, we're gonna read from verse 11 to 18. If you guys can stand up as we read the word, um, and Kendra's gonna come forward and read for us. Hello. Don't forget that you are Gentiles. In fact, you used to be called uncircumcised by those who take pride in being circumcised. At that time, you did not know about Christ. You were foreigners to the people of Israel, and you had no part in the promises that God had made to them. You were living in this world without hope and without God, and you were far from God. But Christ offered his life's blood as a sacrifice and brought you near God. Christ had made peace between Jews and Gentiles, and he has united, united us by breaking down the wall of hatred that separated us. Christ gave his own body to destroy the laws of Moses with all its rules and commands. He even brought Jews and Gentiles together as though they were only one person when he united us in peace. On the cross, Christ did away with our hatred for each other. He also made peace between us and God by uniting Jews and Gentiles in one body. Christ came and preached peace to you Gentiles who were far from God and peace to us Jews who were near God. And because of Christ, all of us can come to the Father as the, by the same Spirit. 
right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is available to us. We thank you that your word is living and active. And we just thank you that your word promises that your spirit will guide us and teach us as we turn to you. And so we just ask this morning that you would yeah, just open our hearts and our eyes to you and teach us something new, Lord, and, and just draw us closer to you as we journey with you and let us sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. In your name we pray. All right, you can have a seat. Thank you. Thank you, Kendra, for coming to read that. Um, yeah, so what's happening in this passage? As I said, it's, it's familiar, maybe, if you've been at One Hope. Otherwise, you might have also read it a few times, and you might be familiar with it. But I think there are a couple of things happening here. Um, firstly, there's very real divisions that he's talking about, systemic divisions between groups of people. So similar to what I was just talking about, there's a legal system that was twisted to create these real divisions between groups of people. He's also talking about uh, relationships within the body of Christ, which is the church. And then I think he's also um, talking about something that's deeply personal to each one in his audience. And I think it's deeply personal to each one of us here today, and hopefully we'll see that. Uh, but I want us first to look at systemic divisions or the divided systems. Um, so if you would look back through Old Testament scriptures, uh, that's the scripture that Paul, as he wrote, and he called himself, um, you know, the Jew of Jews and a lot of things. He was a very wise man. So he knew these scriptures very well, the Old Testament. And some of his listeners would have known them very well also. Um, if you look through from the beginning of the Old Testament, it's clear that God cherished uh, unity and diversity. He created people to be diverse. Um, it was a message that was so clear that I think the Jews tended to lose sight of it time and again throughout history. And there's a fantastic book written by J. Daniel Hayes called From Every People and Nation, and it explores ethnic diversity right throughout uh, Scripture. And um, we don't have time to delve into it all, but even before in Exodus 12, it's Exodus 12:38, talks about a diverse group of people went up from Egypt with the Israelites. Even before that time, it's clear to see um, that God created this diversity and that he cherishes it and he loves it. And this is a theme that carries on right throughout scripture, passages like Isaiah uh, chapter two, prophesied that people would come from all over the world to worship God. It's something that we saw happening in Acts chapter 2 in Pentecost, and it's something that carries on right to the end of Scripture in Revelation chapter 7. John talks about this vision of, that he has of every tribe and tongue and nation coming together to bow before the Lord. Um, and so unity and diversity was part of God's original plan. But we also know that if you look right back to the beginning of Scripture, from the time of the fall, people just started to find out ways in, through their sin to build up walls of division. Um, so there it was, God had provided a blueprint for building just systems, but over and over, people deviated in their sinfulness from God's instruction. And I think sin creates in us like an innate hostility. 
And the way that God designed our brains, and I'm not an expert on the brain, but I did uh, learn quite a few things as I had a chance to study the brain and the effects that trauma has on the brain throughout the last year. And I, I found it very interesting that the way that the brain develops, and you might know this already, but it's through patterned repetitive activation, particularly in the early years from conception first through the first um, three years or so. And so what that means is basically we mimic and model and learn from people around us and from our environment. And we know that we're all born into a sinful environment, right? And so our environment literally as we grow up and we absorb these things, our environment is literally creating in us a type of hostility. And that hostility flows out into the systems in the societies that people develop. And that society creates within each one of us a type of implicit bias that obviously by the name of it we're not even aware. Uh, but that's part of our sinfulness that underlines who we are in the world that we help to fashion around us. So the systems are divided, right? We, we can see, we can look at the headlines and see the bad news in the world. Uh, but hopefully there's better news within the church. Uh, maybe it's not all doom and gloom. So let's see how it plays out in the, in the body of Christ in the church. Um, Paul Hodson and Bates preached on the same passage during lockdown. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's still online. This service, by the way, is not being recorded, so it's a once-off. You're very privileged to be here. Oh, it is being recorded. Oh, never mind. It's not that valuable. Never mind. <laughs> But it was awesome, I went back to listen to Paul's preach and Bates preach, and one of the things that Paul pulled out um, was that even when, when uh, Jews allowed Gentiles into religious gatherings, there was sometimes a literal wall that they built up to, to divide them, to divide the two groups. So around the time that this letter was written to the church in Ephesus, the temple in Jerusalem had what they called um, the court of the Gentiles. So there was a specific place Gentiles could come in and there was a wall and on that wall archaeologists have found signs that said no foreigner or no Gentile can pass this point and go into the rest of the temple. And if they do, they'll have only themselves to blame for being killed. And so, yeah, it sounds crazy, it sounds extreme because this is the body of Christ, supposed to be the church. And here we're telling you to stay in your place and if you do, well, we'll kill you. But uh, somehow justify that with our laws also. Sounds crazy, right? Um, but there are a few of us, um, especially probably from my age and older, who have been in churches, in like physical church, traditional church buildings with balconies, right? And balconies were often created throughout history to keep people of color and enslaved people in their place while the other people worshiped. So again, it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's an age-old problem. Paul said, and the Apostle Paul said in his first letter to the Corinthian church, um, that the body of Christ is many different parts formed together. And it's what I was talking about in the beginning. It's beautiful, different parts have different talents, um, and we can come together to function as one. Uh, even in this passage um, that Kendra read earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, it says that we've been united in Christ. But all of us in our sin, even we who are part of the body of Christ, keep on finding ways to build dividing walls. 
in spite of that unity that God created for us. So more bad news. We'll get to the good news. I think all of this stems, obviously, the systems, the brokenness in the world and the church, it stems from our sinful hearts. And so what I want us to do for a minute is to zoom in to a personal level and see what scripture has to say. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, uh, Jesus says, he's asked what's the greatest commandment, and he says the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And he's quoting here from the Shema, which is in in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, his audience would have been very familiar with it. Later on, he tells people that to, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ, you need to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow him. This is a recurring theme. In James chapter 4, it says we are to submit ourselves, implying not part of ourselves, all of ourselves, to following God. Yet, in our sinfulness, we know that we're trying to build up these walls to keep God in his place and to keep him out of certain areas of our life that we would rather be in charge of for ourselves. And that for each of us is something different. But I think as we sit here, we know if we're honest and that you know there are certain things that we don't fully surrender to the Lord. We build these walls around them because we want to be lords of certain parts of our lives. If you were here last week, or I don't know if, if that message was recorded, but um, Stephen uh, spoke from, from 1 Kings chapter 2, when David was talking to his son Solomon, uh, handing over the kingdom, and he said to Solomon, if you obey faithfully all that the Lord has said, he will keep his promises. And it's one two-letter word, that is very, very huge with very big implications. If we do what God says, then he will bless us. And I think you don't have to turn too far past that uh, story in, in First Kings chapter 2 to see that not everyone did keep that all the time. We tended to stray, that things became too familiar. Even legends, heroes of the faith that we look up to, people that God worked through in incredible ways, time and again, strayed away from his plans and his desires and built these walls around the little parts of their lives that they wanted to control. And stop and think about your own life for a minute. When I was thinking through this, you know, and going back to the words that Jesus said from the Shema, love the Lord with all your God, with love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. If I'm honest, and if we're honest, it's more like We love the Lord our God with some of our heart and some of our soul and some of our mind, but other parts, you know, we'll get there, maybe. Sometimes we don't set out to do that on purpose. I think, even if you think back to apartheid, it's not every single white person that was in South Africa took an active role in building up or every single and yeah, every single person took a, a role in building up these walls or instituting these 7, 17,000 laws. Uh, but the reality is that it happened, right? And the reality is sometimes we don't set out to crowd God out of this area or that area. We don't set out to, to 
set up our lives in a way that we only hang out and, and eat dinner with and go to church with people that are just like us. It just gradually, slowly happens, and sometimes without us knowing it. But it does happen. Paul writes this, and the Apostle Paul again writes this verse in, in Romans, which is it's profound, but also it's like confusing because it says the same word over and over. So he says something like, what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate or what I do not want to do, I do. So it's a lot of doing. It's like this, this struggle back and forth. I don't want to do this, but I do this. I didn't think I was going to do this, but I did that. Uh, and then these walls creep up through our sin. And so we don't have long left, and we've got to figure out what to do with all these walls, right? Because um, we can't leave here on this um, sad note for our last uh, Sunday in holiday. And so I think that our ongoing struggles with sin show us obviously that we can't break down these walls by ourselves and that was um, Bates preach about this passage was highlighting that um, dividing walls cannot be broken down except for by the hope and life that Jesus brings through his death and resurrection Ephesians 2 verse 13 and 14 talks about Christ offering his blood and his body to unite us by breaking down the wall. And so that's the reality. Christ has done the work, but it's this already not yet tension that we live in. Christ has done it, and still we keep trying to undo it. Christ made a way to redeem us, and the good news is that he uses his church to accomplish his purposes, and he restores us and he reconciles us all and so i think that's the note that i want to close this down on there's a quote from a book that i read over the holidays called suffering in the heart of god and diane langberg she says if we love god and we reverence his holy name then his love justice and humility will be seen in us the church is an instrument in the world for the revelation of god Whatever God's heart towards the cities of this world is, that should be the attitude of his church. Should be the attitude of his church. So I think we've seen the, the system, the body, the individual, all these things are interconnected and affect one another. And only the good news of the gospel has the ultimate power to unite us and diffuse all this hostility between us. I think everyone who's a follower of Jesus has this personal story where the Holy Spirit's come in and open up your heart so that you can believe and enter into a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and this is a core, a core aspect of the gospel. It's also something that Paul unpacked in, in Ephesians. This is the good news about God's big plan. God reconciles each one of us to himself in, in a vertical relationship. And last week, we sang a song, and again, I'm terrible at singing, so I'll spare you the re-singing of it, but the song is Build My Life, and, and the lyrics say, Holy, there is no one like you. There is no one beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are. Fill me with your heart. 
and lead me in your love to those around me. So I think this is the, this is the other core aspect of the gospel. God wants people to be reconciled uh, to himself, but he also wants people to be reconciled to one another because we're all created in his image. Uh, something, and it's called the Imago Dei, the image of God. And so there should be no dividing walls in our relationship with Christ, and there should be no dividing walls in our systems or within our church. I thought about quoting uh, Tim Keller, but um, that's what everybody does, so I'll quote Matt Chandler instead. Um, uh, Matt Chandler said, the horizontal aspect of the gospel is God inviting us into his mission. And that mission involves the justice of God. People who believe the gospel are people who are serious about justice. They're passionate about justice, and they're eager to do justice in this world regardless of the domain in which they work, live, and play. And so that can be all of us. Scripture tells us that God actively moved close to us through the incarnation of Jesus, and that was a costly move. It was sacrificial love. And so I want us to ask ourselves, honestly, if we are following his example by moving close to people that are far or close that are different to us, it's a, it's a costly move, yes, definitely, but it, I think it's definitely a rewarding move as well. God created us for relationships, and he created us to live with this uh, cherishing of diversity. But I do know that relationships can be scary, uh, and that's okay. That's normal. But scripture tells us in 1 John 4 that if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God and God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever lives, whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. So there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So relationships are scary, yes, we're sometimes overwhelmed with fear, we don't know where to move, uh, we don't know what to do, but scripture tells us to turn back to the love of God and to rely on that and to draw strength from that so that we can follow his example. If we check this banner that hangs up here every week, thanks to Warren and his uh, strapping muscles, putting it up there, and it explains it so clearly. We want to love God, we want to love people, and we want to reach the world. And I don't disagree with that. I think it's spot on with the gospel. I think it's clear, it's concise. But I also think it looks really easy uh, when it's overlaid on that beautiful picture of the area that we live in. And I also think it's not that easy when we try and pull the words off of that banner and apply them in our lives. If we're gonna do that, if we're going to reach the world, even the world right around us, we're gonna need God's help to dismantle dividing walls that exist. How are we gonna reach a world that was, as we saw, intentionally set up to separate and divide? That was intentionally engineered in that way, so we can't just think we're gonna walk out and it's gonna be easy. It's gonna require something of us and we're gonna need God's help and we're gonna need one another's help to do that as well.
Earlier on, I talked about the importance of being intentional and seeing things with a, a fresh perspective. And I know I talked about, you know, heavy things with the history of apartheid, and it evokes a lot of emotions for some people. Um, and I know the painful truth is that a lot of a lot of atrocities that have occurred in the history of our country and in the history of the world uh, have been uh, people who say that they love the Lord and they've been part of the church have been complicit in those things. Um, but I don't want us to leave here being too despondent, and I'm going to wrap it up just now. Um, I don't want you to think that I'm totally condemning the church because Scripture tells us it's easy to... to um, take the speck out of someone else's eye without seeing the plank in our own eyes. So I'm not just casting judgment. I just wanted to bring to light some, some truths. I do think it's also important to look back through history, ancient history and recent history to draw inspiration. It's not all bad news. Um, we, we can look back and appreciate there's incredible work that the church has done. People of God have done in playing roles to help God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. They've championed justice, they've helped fight things like slavery and apartheid, and those are on a grand scale, and there's so many little things that aren't even written in the pages of history where the, God has worked through in and through his people to accomplish incredible things, and so we should look back at those things and draw strength from them. Um, and if you're part of One Hope Church, I think we also have a, an incredible opportunity that we should appreciate and we should get involved in uh, with ministries like Serve Stellenbosch. I think Robin and, and others who have been involved in that have helped create incredible opportunities over the years. And I know there's some, some big things, some exciting things that better unfold this year because they were supposed to unfold last year. Um, so watch this space. I think there's going to be some cool things happening also. Uh, that we can get involved in. Um, but I do think it, it, it's important to take time to learn from what others have done and also to look around and to get to know people and see what other exciting things are happening in this church uh, and in the community around us. And as much as we look to other people for inspiration, I think where I want to land this is that we need to look to Scripture for inspiration as well. Stefan talked about the opportunity of reading the Bible through during this year. And so you can check back with him or with Alex periodically to see if they are getting to that every day. Um, but I would challenge all of us to do, the, to do the same thing. Scripture is so accessible to us, whether on our phones or we might have a Bible or we know someone that can give us a Bible. I think that everyone in this room can easily access scripture in their home language, in their heart language. And so that's something that we should be doing. We should be reading through scripture. Read through and see if the things that I'm saying are true or not. And let us draw strength from one another, as I said, but let us also draw strength from Christ himself, who scripture says came and broke down dividing walls of hostility. And let us follow in his example and think uh, intentionally about the way that we orientate our lives and the way that we live in this year ahead. So hopefully that's uh, challenging enough. Hopefully it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, and if you have any questions or any, any of these things piqued your interest about uh, history or justice or anything, I'm always happy to chat. And I know other people like Robin and Nathan and others are happy as well. And um, so, 
We're right at an hour now, so let's wind it down and let's close off in prayer. And then after I pray, I uh, just want to remind you uh, about the time of prayer that Warren will lead for Francois and the family. Uh, you guys can find him up here if you can. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for paying the price to redeem us and to reconcile us. We thank you that scripture tells us that you broke down the dividing walls and you've given us access to your saving grace. Lord, we acknowledge and we ask for your forgiveness for the times that we try to rebuild these walls. And we just ask that you would show us today and in the weeks and months and year ahead and where we need to help to break down walls that have been you know, built up in society, built up in the church, and even uh, especially built up in our own lives. Help us to engage the world around us in a new way, in a way with fresh eyes, in a way that honors you and affirms everyone's dignity as your children. And in this year, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to devour your word and just to be faithful to read it and to seek you first in all that we do. And we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.